In honor of May being the Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, the National Hockey League and Immigrantly joined forces to bring you two special episodes celebrating the role of the API community in hockey. Today's guest is Aisha Visram. She is head trainer for the LA Kings American Hockey League affiliate in Ontario, California. Enjoy. Right when we finished our practice and got off the ice is when I officially heard from our head athletic trainer, Chris Kingsley, that I was going to work the game that night. And then it wasn't until warm-ups that I started to realize that, yeah, this is my first NHL game. This is so cool. <laughs> On January 13, 2022, the Los Angeles Kings scored a 6-2 victory against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The crowd roared in celebration. And so did the internet. Because at that game, Aisha Visram, head athletic trainer, was the second woman to work behind the bench at a regular season NHL game. The first was Jody Van Rees in 2002. There's Aisha Visram. She's taking over for Chris Kingsley, who's been put in COVID protocol. It's been my professional goal uh, for as long as I can remember to work in the NHL. And while it was now just two games. Congratulations. She's done phenomenal work down in Ontario. She's going to do the same move with the Los Angeles Kings. It was pretty cool for me. Um, I mean, you work hard your whole life for something. And to get a chance to, to live it even just for a day or a couple days um, really makes everything worth it. Aisha's feet sparked conversation around gender and ethnic representation in hockey. Aisha's parents immigrated from India to Africa and then to Canada, where she was born and raised in Toronto. Now they, despite having limited knowledge, about sports in America supported her love for hockey, which in many ways was a form of assimilating into Canadian culture, whether unintentional or not. And as an immigrant parent, I can totally relate to that. Aisha admits, though, she didn't face many barriers in her career path, which ultimately led her to work as the head trainer for the Ontario Reign, which, by the way, is an American Hockey League affiliate of the NHL's Los Angeles Kings. In January, Aisha was asked to fill in after three LA King staff members went into COVID protocol. She quickly became a voice of representation and inclusivity. We are so excited to have Aisha with us today to talk about her love for hockey, authentic representation in sports, and the path forward. So let's get started. I am so excited to have you on Immigrantly and to be collaborating with NHL again for API Months. I'm really excited. How are you doing? Good, thank you. 
Wonderful. So you are the head athletic trainer. In layperson's terms, you basically help players play safely the game that they love, right? Yes. So what does a typical day in the life of Aisha Visram look like? I mean, it really depends whether it's a game day or a practice day, but basically we get to the arena before the players get there, get things ready for treatments, get things set up for either practice or the game. The players show up, we go into treatments, make sure, you know, whatever they have going on, we do our best to make sure that they are healthy, they can play through it, provide the treatment that they need. Once treatments are over and practice starts, then we're on the bench, we're out there making sure everyone's safe, dealing with water bottles and hydration and all that stuff. And then after practice, back into treatments. If it's a game day, we have a break for a little bit of time and then mm. get ready for the game and do the whole thing all over again. And if it's a practice day, once treatments are over, then that's the end of our day. So it can go anywhere from 7 a.m. to 2 or 3. And then if it's a game day, you're going from 7 a.m. until 11, sometimes midnight. So it's oh, it wow. all depends. Yeah, it all depends on yeah what we have going on that day. In an interview, you said your job is both rewarding and challenging. Can you elaborate mm. on that? I mean, the rewarding part about it is it's it's really nice to feel needed and the players need you. So <laughs> it's very rewarding to see, you know, someone gets hurt. Obviously, we don't want anyone to get hurt, but right. we have jobs because it happens and you help them get better and then to see them get back on track and then go back to play and to know that, you know, it's it's their hard work that gets them there. But at the same time, if you played a little bit of role in that, it's it's really rewarding to see you know, what you do means something. And then the, the challenging part is it, it's very high paced. Obviously, in professional sports, it's all about performance. It's about mm. winning. You want to be able to make sure that you have the best lineup possible. And it's our job to try and make you know as many players available to the coaches that you can so that they can do their job as well. In terms of the job itself, have you seen it evolve over the years as player safety has evolved? Do you see any changes happening in how you basically perform or how your job description has expanded in some ways? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just a very simple answer of looking at COVID, that was never something that any of us had to deal with. And now all of a sudden you're becoming infectious disease specialists and testing and learning about quarantine and, and staying up to date on those guidelines. And then you become part of travel planning because it involves testing. So the job is constantly changing. Even thinking about concussion protocol, that evolves, you know, every year things get better. Um, when I first started, there was not such a thing as concussion spotting. And now that's a huge part of, um, of things at the NHL level. So yeah, things are constantly changing. And I think that's great. It's awesome to, you know, as a person who loves to learn, things constantly changing. You're always learning. You're always up to date with the information. Treatment protocols have changed as well. There's always new machines coming out and new ways of doing things. So yeah, the, the profession and the job itself is always evolving. So let's talk about January 13th. The Kings athletic trainer Aisha Vizram became the first woman in LA Kings history to work behind a bench. It marked just the second time in league history a woman has been behind an NHL bench. I know a lot of people have already asked you these questions, but I want to know play by play of what happened on that day. 
and what you took away from it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I still, you know, it's been a few months, but I I still remember <laughs> everything about that day, which is I guess speaks to how special it was. Again, like the COVID, everything's constantly changing. You have to stay on your toes, and that's what led to January 13th was we we had a lot of player shortages at that time as well because of COVID, and then it hit the staff and one of the great things about uh working for the LA Kings is that it's very much you know, you earn your opportunities and hmm. next person up gets that opportunity and they needed someone and that next person up was me. I mean, the day we, we just talked about what a normal day would look like and that's exactly my normal day. We got there early, started practice and then uh, somewhere along the way heard that the Kings were going to need some extra staff for that game that night. And I, at the time, didn't th- didn't know or wasn't thinking, you know, oh, it's going to be me. I just kind of <laughs> went about my day. And um, right when we finished our practice and got off the ice is when I officially heard from our head athletic trainer, Chris Kingsley, that I was going to work the game that night. And then from there, it kind of became a bit of a blur because you're excited and nervous and trying to figure out, you know, I hadn't, I had worked a game at Staples Center in preseason, so at least I knew where everything was, but yeah. to start thinking about, you know, a completely different routine of how are you going to get down there, where are you going to go, trying to call my parents to make sure they knew, trying to tell my friends, huh. sending a bunch of texts to everyone who I felt would want to know so that everyone had a chance to to see the game if they could, which a lot of my family and friends did get to watch the game because Sportsnet picked it up in Canada, which was really cool. And then once I got to the arena, it became a normal, you know, normal work day that, all right, you know, we're getting everything ready. The players start coming in, you start getting them ready for the game. So that part was very almost automatic. And then it wasn't until like warm ups that I started to not get nervous again, but to Mm. realize that, yeah, this is my first NHL game. This is so cool. Mm. How did you calm your nerves? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't know that I really did. I kind of just uh, went with it. Once the game starts, again, it's I've been doing this for a while. So, you you know, once the puck drops, it's time to mm. you focus in. You're, you're concerned about their safety. You're concerned about what you need to do during the game. So once that part started, I was fine. But uh, during the anthems, I definitely started to feel like, wow, okay, um, this, this, is, this is the NHL. This is my first game. This is yeah, it, it, for sure, during that time, the emotions did take over a little bit. What are some of the differences between AHL and NHL behind the scene, behind the bench dynamics? A lot of it is, a lot of it is very similar. Because, um, again, it's, it's a professional environment. You know, the, the job itself is, is the same. Um, there's a lot more people involved in the, in the NHL games. Like, there's a lot more staff around. We have doctors at our games, but the NHL, you, you have more. So there's just a lot more people around that to, mm. to manage. But the, and the game is a, a tiny bit faster. But even <laughs> then, it's, a lot of it is, is the same. What about your dynamic with the players? Because it must have been a surprise for them as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What was that like? We had a lot of our players at the time called up at the same time as I had my game because huh. of COVID shortages with the players. Oh. So I don't want to say that was fortunate because that's that's not right. <laughs> that's not the right way to describe that. But it was kind of cool because I did have quite a few players there that I knew and had worked with earlier in the season with the rain. So it, it didn't feel, you know, there was part of it of, you know, well, this isn't my team. But at the same time, you see all these guys that you already know. And then being here for training camp, I knew most of the LA Kings players too. So it um, it was pretty cool to to at least have players that I had worked with all season there as well. 
So Aisha, I have to admit, I have very limited knowledge of sports in America. I am a huge cricket fan, mm, grew okay. up in Pakistan, but I am trying to learn and NHL <laughs> is becoming one of my favorite sports in America. In terms of your career, what does the progression or trajectory look like? Being part of NHL, is that the goal? Is that where you would ideally like to be? Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that is my goal, yes. That is the goal, right? Yeah. But we don't see as many women there. So you were celebrated as second woman to work behind the bench, first South Asian, while the moment definitely warranted a celebration. The way I see it, as it exists in its current form, representation becomes more of a celebration of an organization's efforts to diversify without taking stock of what the representation really looks like to the outside world or even to the players or non-players within that team, right? Granted, LA Kings as an organization are probably a lot more diverse than other um, sports teams within the NHL, but still, it should be a moment of introspection as well. How do we shift the conversation around diversity to ensure more sustainable inclusion? How can we better ourselves to have a more authentic representation in the long term? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good question and a, a very complex answer because you, you know, we obviously want this. Representation matters. I agree mm-hmm. with you. We want it to seem like it doesn't matter what your background, there's a place for you in every sport. But it, there's also, you know, the flip side of it of, you know, we want people who are qualified for the positions as well. And then that turns into a bigger conversation of how does that start? Does that start at the, you know, grassroots level of getting more people involved? Does that, you know, offer internships to, you know, minorities to get involved and see, oh, okay, you know, there's all these different jobs in sports that I can do. You know, what, what are my interests? What aligns mm-hmm. with what I like? I think it's, you know, it's a combination of all those things that you, for for exactly like you said, for true authentic representation, mm-hmm. you don't want to just start checking boxes and hiring people because, oh, you look a certain way or you, right. you know, you qualify for this. So good. Now we can say we have a person who is this. That's not what you want. You want qualified people. You want people who are the right fit. I think it, you, you do in your hiring process, I think need to look at things in a more broad way of, you know, coming in with the, you know, what does an athletic trainer look like? Well, there shouldn't be anything in your mind because it can be anything. Hmm. We need to come at things without thinking, all right, well, we need this specific cookie cutter model because that's what we're looking for. Just having a, I think, a more, you know, broad view of things and then making sure that we're giving equal opportunity to everyone at the lower levels because that's how you become qualified for these jobs is you, you know, you work your way up, you take the right courses, you have internships, you have experiences. And then when someone looks at your resume and wants to hire an athletic trainer and sees, oh yeah, all these qualifications, it doesn't matter their background or gender or anything like that, they, they work. But in order for you to get there, you have to have the opportunities early on to, you know, check those boxes. Absolutely. And there's so much to deconstruct in what you said. First, you're absolutely right. I wonder if there are certain positions, athletic training being one, that is looked at through gendered lens. And maybe that's why we don't see as many women. Maybe we need to change conversations there and make it more inclusive. Something else that I noticed was that the first woman to work behind the bench was in 2002, Jodi Van Rees. And then 20 years later, you. 
I find it hard to believe that there haven't been more women in the last 20 years who were qualified to move up the ranks to where you are today, right? So we are definitely missing something. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, athletic training way back when it started was mostly men, but now the profession is majority women and by it's not close. It's not like 51, 49 or whatever. It's 60% women. Yeah. So exactly, over the last 20 years, what's going on? Why hasn't there been more? And you look at other sports as well, like uh, NBA has had some women, the NFL, you know, there's there's women in, all, in a lot of the other sports as well. And it seems like we're just lagging a little bit behind hmm. here. So hmm. it, yeah, those are good questions. Why is that? Are there not qualified women? Are they not getting the opportunities early on to get the experience that they need? Are we, you know, hiring through, you know, a lens that doesn't make sense anymore? It, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of questions and a lot of things to unpack in that uh, in, in, in that subject. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens because I wanted better gut health and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great and also wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now I have been on it for a few weeks and I love it. Fun fact, it doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical taste and I actually look forward to it each morning. With just one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's how I take it. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Growing up for me, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I had to give it up because I realized it was full of sugar and junk that you shouldn't really eat. And I'm sure a lot of us are trying to stay healthy and therefore avoiding cereal. But don't worry, Magic Spoon is coming to the rescue. Magic Spoon has the f amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. The variety pack has four flavors. They are cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. My favorite is fruity. Not only does it taste great, it's a visual delight. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And there are only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Here's what I want you to do. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash immigrantly to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code immigrantly at the checkout to save $5 off your order. 
and Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. How amazing is that? Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash immigrantly and use the code immigrantly to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. So Aisha, I want to pivot a little and talk about your family and the influences in your life growing up. Now, I am an immigrant parent, so it's always exciting to see other kids who grew up in immigrant households. Often immigrant parents focus on academics more than they do on sports. And there's a reason. Um, As a parent, I do that because we want our kids to be financially stable, which usually in our minds means a nine to five corporate job. Your parents are pharmacists. Your mom is a nutritionist as well, and hence your interest in biology. But in addition to that, how did your parents support your interest in hockey, especially when you decided to embrace it professionally? Yeah, it's it's funny exactly what you said. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very true that you, you have that, you know, we want our kids to do better than us, and it's sometimes looked at as, yeah, fine, it's a financially stable, that's the definition of that, mm. right? So not to say that my parents aren't happy with how things are, things have turned out for me, but at the same time, when you're younger, you hear, oh, you know, oh, you know, medicine, a lawyer, like, you know, all the big, <laughs> the big top, you know, right. in the, in the, you know, immigrant frame of things that, oh, this is what we want our kids to be. But, you know, to their credit, um, I mean, they, they grew up playing, you know, cricket, soccer, all those things. And you come to this country and it's all about hockey. And, and they were yeah. very supportive. I mean, the equipment's expensive. We, we bought used equipment when we started. Like it, they could have said no to all those things. And, and they, were, they were not only supportive, but encouraging of it. So um, I, I think as things started to play out and it, it started to look like this was the path I was going to follow, I, I think there was a little bit of worry about the financial stability part of it, you know, still people don't still fully understand what athletic trainers do as well. And they, (laughs) they were part of that. They're like, what is it that you want to do? What, what is that? So I, I definitely see, you know, all sides of it of would they have preferred maybe an easier path probably, but at the same time, it's been my entire family, my uncles, my, my brother, my aunts, like everyone has been cheering me on the whole way. So I, I am very lucky because there's a lot of, I think, children of immigrant parents that might've been in different scenarios. You bring up such an important point about accessibility, right? Because it seems like sports in America especially are expensive, all different sports. You have to buy gear, you have to put your kids in certain camps, they are expensive, training camps. How do we make it accessible? How do we ensure that kids from all different backgrounds are included in these games? But you also talk about how people don't understand what an athletic trainer does. And this is something that I should probably have asked you in the beginning. (laughs) What does an athletic trainer do? I mean, you did touch on it earlier about how, you know, things have evolved. You know, traditionally, an athletic trainer was there to, you know, prevent uh, injuries, treat injuries and help with rehab. But now our roles are so diverse. Like we do still injury prevention is a huge part of our job treating injuries, evaluating injuries, making rehab plans. Um, That's still the, you know, the main thing that people know that we do. But then, you know, again, bring up COVID, the testing, 
um, adapting to every scenario. There's a lot of, um, you know, we coordinate with other healthcare providers, our medical team, our doctors, all the information comes through us. Um, if you're, if you're uh, an athletic trainer for an outside sport, then you've got the, you know, environment management, the heat management, all those things as well. So it's a very just diverse uh, job. And yeah, people were like, oh yeah, you run out there and when someone gets hurt, you take care of them. And that's such a small part of what we, yeah, of what we do. I was doing research on you and I read somewhere that there was a particular incident after which you went from, I'll pursue a passion in healthcare to what if I died with my passion for hockey? There was a particular <laughs> moment. Mm -hmm. Can you share it with us? Yes. Um, I, yeah, I, I still, I, uh, again, grew up watching hockey. Uh, I was a Maple Leafs fan. Um, you couldn't pry me away from Hockey Night in Canada. That's uh, how I spent my weekends as a child. Uh, and I remember um, watching one of the games um, and um, someone got hurt. One of the players got hurt. And you know, you normally, you know, they cut away or they go to commercial or something. And in this instant, they didn't. And they followed this person who, you know, jumped over the bench and runs out there to go and and help this player, takes care of them and brings them off the ice. And I remember just thinking, this is that, you know, that looks like such a cool job. And then looking into it and realizing, hey, this is perfect. This is this is healthcare. This is kinesiology, which I was really interested in. And you get to still be involved in sports and in hockey and. Since that, I think I was 15 at the time, and since that, I was I was like, this is, that is just perfect for everything I want to do in life. And you have a degree in exercise psychology. And when I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. A lot of it is about behaviors surrounding exercise. Mm -hmm. So it's it's yeah, it's the psychology of you know what comes with you know, like mental toughness, what comes with with playing mm -hmm. um, sports or or exercise, yeah. When becoming the first of something, or even being a minority in space, most folks experience imposter syndrome. Um, I do it at times, right? Did you ever have those feelings in your career, and what did you do about it? I think it's to totally normal for everyone to feel that way uh, at some moment, especially as a you know a young professional coming right out of school, and then you've yeah. got. Um, I mean, obviously we're trained to do all these things, but now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're on your own and doing it. I, I definitely, uh, I definitely felt it then like, wow, am I, am I qualified mm. to be doing this? Whew. Um, I think that's normal for anyone when you first start, um, in any profession. Uh, but I, it's, that's an interesting thing because it's not a thing that I, after that, that I thought about a huh. whole lot. I think as. I've moved up in my career, it's something that I think about more. Like when I first started, I never really spent a whole lot of time being like, oh, I, I'm a woman working with a with a men's team. Like it wasn't something that I focused on every day. And now knowing um, kind of what's happened and the attention that has been on me since working that game, I, I think about almost day now, every almost every day now that you know, there, I'm a, a woman working in a male-dominated spot and ah. what can I do to make this better for other people that's so interesting initially it wasn't part of your consciousness but it has become more so because of the spotlight on you and what you've achieved what do you think is 
NHL's role in this because in 2020, the NHL Coaches Association announced the Female Coaches Development Program to support female coaches in leadership, communications, and advancement. It's one of the ways NHL promotes diversity in the league. What are some other ways that you've seen NHL has supported women or hasn't supported women? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's... Um I, I think in the last few years, the support is um, has definitely been increasing. Early on in my career, I didn't feel like anyone was really doing much to, mm. to make any sort of change. Uh, and now, the even, even before this year, the, the spotlight on diversity and um, you know, showing representation of women in the game, like focusing in on, oh, you know, a lot of a lot of teams have women in management. We just don't we just don't know about it. And mm-hmm. now it's become um, something that we focus on more to show everyone that, hey, this can be done. Is it at the numbers it should be? No, but there are changes being made. Um, I think that their commitment to um, helping women in all, you know, in all the different, in all the different jobs that are involved in the game mm-hmm. um, is to see that change and, and have more of a focus on it is awesome. That it, I think that they're starting to recognize that you know, this is this is good. The, the whole point of diversity is to bring in different ideas, people mm. with different qualifications, and to enrich the environment that you're in. And a game should be part of it, and every job within that game should be part of it as well. And we should stop celebrating firsts and seconds. It should be a humble moment of introspection, right? Because why are we still talking about firsts and seconds? We should have moved past that, beyond that, Yesterday, I was talking to my media coordinator, Kayla Lupali. She is a huge NHL fan, by the way, and she's a huge fan of yours as well. She has sent me a few questions, which I am going to ask you in the end. But she also mentioned something that I wasn't aware of, that there's a huge female fan base, NHL female fan base, and they want to see representation within NHL. They want to be able to connect with folks, whether players or non-players, within this space. Do you think NHL is aware of their female base? Is that something that they are working to connect with? Yeah. Um, I'll give you a, a good example. When I was younger and I wanted to buy you know, NHL team apparel, it was mm. all men's stuff, and the only stuff for women was pink. Um, which had oh, nothing wow. to do with which had nothing to do with <laughs> breast cancer awareness or anything like that. It was oh, wow. just oh, women like pink. Let's make it pink. Why wouldn't a woman want the colors that her her team has? And now when you look at it, like it's uh, that's not the case anymore. There is um, you know we're not we're not excluded from the team apparel space, which is a maybe a ridiculous example, but at the same time to show that you've realized over the last whatever 20 years that yeah there are women and they want to wear jerseys and they want to wear t-shirts and we you know we want stuff that is for us that um that I think shows at least you know an awareness that wow there's there are it's worth having it's worth producing this apparel because there are women who are going to buy it right um so even just simple things like that I think it it shows you know who you believe is welcome and to and I, I think you need to that's something they need to be be aware of and have become more aware of that you know, there are there's a lot of women fans and 
it, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever gender, fans are fans and you want to have access to all of them. Aisha, what kind of response have you gotten from the community in general after January 13th, historic moment for you? Um, it was extremely overwhelming. I, I haven't ever been a person who's who's hid their ambitions. So mm-hmm. in school, you know, when you're in, in class and they ask you, oh, what do you what do you plan to do with this course or whatever? You know, I would say I, I, I want to work in the NHL. So a lot of my classmates from athletic training and athletic therapy right away reached out and was like, you said this is what you wanted to do. And there you are. And it was I've, I've kept in touch with a lot of those people. But at the same time, I haven't talked to a lot of them in a long time. And to just have them reach out to me just randomly like that was was awesome. My family, I think, overreacted. I was very overwhelmed <laughs> by their response because I got tons of, you know, they were taking photos of the television and screenshotting things they had seen on social media and were sending everything <laughs> to me. And I'm like, guys, I'm at work. Like, <laughs> my phone's absolutely blowing up. I think I've said this, I've told this story a few times, but my phone couldn't hold a charge. I had to have it oh, plugged wow. in all the time because it just couldn't keep up with what was what was happening i had to turn my twitter notifications off because it was just there was just a hundred hundreds and hundreds of things coming in (laughs) this is out of control Uh, but at the same time it was to to be able to then when all of that you know kind of was put to the side to be able to talk to my family and and you know as much as it was amazing for me it's it was amazing for them as well because they've been your family is part of every sacrifice yeah. you make your friend, you know, the, the weddings that you miss and the, you know, times you come home late and you, you don't have time to call them in season and whatever, they make the sacrifices just as much as we do. So to get to celebrate that with them and show them that, you know, it would have been worth it even if that didn't happen. I, right. I my, my, I'm very happy with the progress I've made in my career and, and one game doesn't change, you know, my success or, or failure or anything like that. But to get a chance to take a second and celebrate it was, was really awesome. Absolutely. And you've been on this amazing journey. But I wonder if there was a moment or an incident where somebody discouraged you or somebody said something nasty early on, which you remember. And maybe when you think back or look back, you're like, you know what, I made it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, I I'm actually very fortunate. I don't have a lot of those stories. Hmm. But since, um, you know, over the last couple months, the one downside to all of this is that a lot of it's not a downside a lot of women have reached out and shared that they were discouraged and have Uh, shared who discouraged them and to see that was just it's it's heartbreaking you have people who are so passionate and wanted something so much and to have some idiot tell them that oh that will never happen like that's awful but and it was nice for them to share those stories with me because I want to know that because that gives me more motivation to you know it's not just about me, it's about creating more opportunities for everyone and, and making it a more inclusive and accessible job. And uh, I want to hear those stories because that will help me continue to push to make things better. And I think we need to share those stories as well to make people aware that you, you can't say these things to people. You, right. Their dreams and their, you know, you shouldn't, if they, whether they can do it or not is not your business. That's theirs. Right. Um, it's, it's yeah to hear the and to hear who who has been discouraging them is also disheartening that it was professors or or other mm. other trainers in the league like that's that's ridiculous so you know there's again I, I am very lucky I don't have very many of those stories and no one is doing that now anymore I, I can tell you that no one's mm-hmm. saying oh this will never happen so mm. we have come a long way but 
again, yeah, to hear stories of women who are similar to my age being like, yeah, when I was in mm. school, they told me I couldn't do it. I'm like, that's that's awful. <laughs> and it requires some degree of reconditioning, right? Especially when it comes to certain positions and just assuming that only, you know, men or male identifying folks can perform within those positions. I think that's something that we need to have more conversations around and making everybody comfortable in that space. Aisha, but we are cheering for you. We are so proud of you. Um, and as I said, I'm just learning a few things about NHL, but it's exciting to see you behind the bench and what you've achieved. In the end, I'll share Kayla's questions with you because sure. she had quite a few questions. As a woman in a male-dominated career and company, do you find that there are times that you're treated differently because of your gender? That's a good question. Um, uh, yes and no, but in in good ways. Um, <laughs> so the, the yes, um, uh, obviously it's mostly no um, because you're here to do a job just like the rest of the staff and you're treated no differently. These are the, you know, this is your role. These are the tasks you need to do. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, what you are. We've got to get these things done. So in the best sense, no. Um, in the best sense of yes, um, they have really gone out of their way here to make sure that things are equal. Um, mm. So in the, like a, a, a crazy example here is like, like everybody needs to go to the bathroom. Everybody needs a bathroom to go to. And in places, in some rinks that we go to, there isn't a bathroom close to me. And I have to walk up into the stands after the game and find a bathroom on the concourse to be able to, to go. Um, and that, that seems like a silly thing to bring up, but it's a, a major inconvenience when you're trying to, you know, wrap things up after the game, yeah. get the players ice, look at their injuries. There's no time to be wandering around looking for a bathroom. You need to have it there. So, um, and then you look at the, you know, for us, they've always made sure that you have something. They, they, uh, we have a, there's a, obviously a coach's locker room. The women here have a locker room. We have our own shower. Like those are silly things to bring up, but they're important because we need to, we, we need to be, we should feel like we have the same access as anybody else. Absolutely. So when we're, when you're ordering, I, I brought up apparel for the NHL, but the same thing goes for, you know, the team. If, you know, you're ordering, you know, five t-shirts, then the women are getting five as well and you're getting stuff mm -hmm. that fits you. So in a way, you know, it's yes in the best way. Like it's, it's not, it's something that you're obviously not focusing on, but at the same time, they know that you need different stuff and you get it. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's, both those things are important. You don't want to be treated differently, but you also need what you need because you're, you are different. So. Absolutely. And it's not silly at all. Those are things that we should be talking about more, right? So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Your inclusive environment. Exactly. This is the last question. It is a great question to wrap up. Nobody wants to get kicked out of playoffs, but now that the Kings are out, who do you think will win the Stanley Cup this year? Oh boy! <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I I will um, not answer that question. <laughs> so I've got a lot of friends on other teams, um, so so I'm not going to answer that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was, I will flip this in a different direction of, yeah, the King season is over and the rain season is also over and uh, we're all very sad and looking towards uh, improving on it next year. 
Aisha, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I oh, am sure. so glad we could have this conversation. This was wonderful. Thank you. Really enjoyed this. Thank you, Aisha and the National Hockey League for this collaboration with Immigrantly. To learn more about this episode and stay in the loop on all things Immigrantly, you can follow us on Twitter at Immigrantly underscore pod and Instagram at Immigrantly pod. Today's episode was written by Ashley Linuza and me, Sadia Khan, edited by Bronte Cook and produced by Kylie C. Roberts and me. We'll catch you next week.